those of you that uh, don't know me, not, not used to being here, my name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm going to spend the rest, the, the next part of the service um, just teaching from the Bible, and then um, and then we'll, we'll probably finish that around five, and then we'll have some more time to respond in song and praise and music and break bread together. So that's, that's how we'll roll from now through to the end. We've just started a new series last Sunday on faith, um, really trying to understand from the Bible what, what faith looks like. I think it's a word that's used a lot, bounded around a lot. Many people would say they are people of faith and yet wouldn't say they're Christians, they're followers of Christ. And so the word is used in a really, really broad way. So we're, what we're trying to do is look in the scriptures and really unpack what does it look like. And the way we're doing that is looking at the, the life of Abraham and Sarah because they're frequently held up throughout the scripture as sort of models of faith. Um, those who believe in Christ in the New Testament are called sons, daughters of Abraham. So we're looking at their life where um, we're calling the series Pilgrimage, The Road Less Travelled. Uh, and that's because the, the genuine life of faith is the road less travelled. Jesus said um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, uh, um, the way that leads to life is narrow and there are few who find it. It's quite a, quite a profound thing to say, really. He said, broad, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Um, so it, it does mean, even if all that that phrase makes you do is stop and think, I've got to look at this carefully. can't just jump to conclusions and assume kind of, every, yeah, we're all on the same page. We've got to look at it and search it out and look at some of the dynamics involved, some of the challenges involved, um, some of the ups and downs involved, some of the details involved. Last week we looked at uh, the faith to wonder which seemed to cause much more of a stir than I had any, any imagine, ever imagined that it would. But it just did, and it seemed that the Holy Spirit wanted to do some things with that beyond our, which I had any sense of. But um, this week we're going to look at something different. We're going to look at the faith to wait. We're going to look at what it looked like for Abraham and Sarah to wait for God to fulfil his promises. Now, just to say something, before we get straight into the text, and then uh, what I'm not going to do is get straight into the text and then, and then just kind of, um, how can I put it, just sort of then plant ourselves straight into their situation and say it's just like that. Because it's not just like that. Because actually what they experienced was at a very different stage in history and in God's salvation history. This was before Moses and the whole thing with the Egypt and being rescued out of Egypt and the Ten Commandments. This was before all of that. It was before Jesus. And so what you've got at this point in, in, in salvation history, if you want to call it that, or in God's purposes, is a lot of anticipation. Very, very little fulfilment. But a lot of looking forward, a lot of future promise. Whereas where we find ourselves in, in the story, that the Bible describes us as those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. There's something climactic about the age in which we live after Jesus. The Messiah has come. And so there's a lot more fulfilment that we live in now. So I wanted to just draw your attention to that, to say the parallels aren't exact. We've got to appreciate where, where we fit, where do we come in the story. That actually, you know, we, we, we look back on Abraham, we look back on Moses and the rescue of Israelites out of Egypt, we look back on the giving of the law, we look back on Jesus who came and really fulfilled the law and all of that, brought it to a climax. We, and, and, and we look at everything really through that lens. Jesus has come, the big moment in history has happened. 
That's what the Bible teaches. The biggest moment in history has happened. The moment upon which everything else hinges, the coming of the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, into the world to perform God's rescue plan has happened. It's done. And that's, that's quite an amazing and profound thing. And you've got, to give, you've got to at least give some weight to that before you go anywhere further. It's really, really important. that The reality for us is that um, salvation has been accomplished for us in Christ. It's all done. So when on the cross Jesus says it is finished, he's saying the work is done to rescue everyone. That sacrifice of himself, that shedding of his blood, is enough to cover for the sins of the whole world. Past, present, future. It's huge. Which is why Christians don't sacrifice animals. It's why we don't go through all of that kind of thing. Because all of that was just pointing towards the sacrifice. And it's come and is done. And God is, God is satisfied, if you like. And so now, in, whoever comes to God in Christ, their sins are paid for. Their sins are atoned for. There's no longer The Christian life is not a life of atonement. A life of trying to make up for things. It's a life of grace, as we've been celebrating for the past, uh, for the past hour or so. It's, it's a life of wonder that it's done, that somehow I enter into this relationship with God and, and the, the, the really hard work has been accomplished on my behalf. It's done. It's like, well, what, what, what do I bring? Well, you don't really bring much. It's, it's, not, that you're, it's, not, about, it's not really about what you bring. We, we've, we've really caused the trouble with our sin. We've caused the problem. God's put it right through, through giving his son as a sacrifice. Jesus has put it right through giving himself up. As that sacrifice. And so it's an amazing and a glorious thing. And really you must never move away from that. Because as soon as you do, you get into a strange kind of thing where you end up really, it just parallels any other religion in the world, which is fundamentally about trying to be good enough. And Christianity is the opposite of that. It says you're not good enough. But God has done it for you and given his son. And his son's work is sufficient so you can be forgiven as a gift and live in the grace of God. It's glorious. It never gets tired. I could sing and dance about it forever. It's a good job I'm going to. But, you know, I mean, you just, it's fresh every time, every time I hear it. It's wonderful. And so I want you just to appreciate where we are in the story. The great work has been done. But there are nevertheless some very important parallels for us, and we will look at those as we go through. I wanted to say that at the start. We're going to read, a, I'm, I've put together uh, the, the main elements of the Abraham story. I've left out some important bits because we'll look at them in following weeks. But I've put together some of the main elements just so you can see the waiting game that was Abraham and Sarah's life. So if you haven't got a Bible with you, it's going to come up on the screen as we go through. It's about four slides that size just to get you prepared for the kind of reading we're going to be doing. And uh, you can try and follow in your Bible, but I'm, I've chunked together lots of different chapters so it may be a bit laborious. So, um, but it's, I've not added, or t- added anything to it. You know, it's just, it's just Bible. So, okay, here we go. Um, so first, I'll let you know what it is if you really want to follow it. Uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 5 and verse 16. And then chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. Chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. That's what we're reading. And if at the end you want to come and see me, you can look it up yourself. Okay, here we go. So lots of things have happened. Then it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That would have been one of his servants. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, behold now that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I should obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then verse 16. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, so 13 years of silence. Nothing. Last verse of 16 says... Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Next verse, which is chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99, so 13 years, nothing, don't know anything about it. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I didn't laugh she was afraid he said no but you did laugh (laughs) so human it's amazing chapter 21 the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah conceived and brought Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac and Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old as God had commanded him Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him and Sarah said God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
So it's a wonderful story and um, just the sense of travelling with them through it. It's very human. And I want to look at really the, the, the difficulty... Difficult to just look at this story now. There was no great disaster or calamity that overtook Abraham and Sarah, particularly. That you don't read of terrible things that happened to them. The test really was in the waiting, where where a, a day turns into another day, and that becomes a week, and then that week becomes another week, and it becomes a month, and then that month becomes another month, and it becomes a year, and it's years. And nothing really changes. And it, it seems like we're still, nothing much has really changed. It's very, very similar. That's the test. That's the way that, really, the, the primary way. There was another test we'll look at in another week. But really, this, before Isaac was born, this was the test. You just got to wait now. And uh, you just got to get on and do life. Walk with God. And there's nothing you can do to make this promise come to pass. You can't do anything, it's out of your hands. You can't do anything. We saw what happened when they tried to do something, we'll look at that. But you really just got to believe God, you've got to trust him. And um, that's, that's, that's testing. That is a very, very testing thing. So where do we fit? How do we fit? How do we find ourselves in this story? Well, for them, individual blessing and global blessings were tied up in the promise of the coming son. That's how it worked. God has said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, yourself and Sarah, and, and, and I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to multiply your descendants so that there's as many as the stars in the sky. Wonderful image. Come out of your tent and look up. And if that part of the world, when you look up in the sky, there are stars. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't translate it to London. Many of you know the story of the first time Levi saw stars, he thought they were fireworks, bless him. He went, to the, he went to the countryside and he went, look, they had fireworks. And I'm like, no, they're stars, son. <laughs> it's just London, urban life, you know. But in that part of the world, when you look up in the sky, you actually see stars. So, and, and I mean, so many, it's shockingly amazing. Just to look up and there's this wonderful promise. It's going to be like that for you. And, uh, and, and there's going to be global blessing that comes through your descendants. It's just a glorious and a wonderful thing that they really were living with. And you see, so I would say this, that Abraham and Sarah, they had the son by faith, they didn't have the son by sight. It's really important, you get that. All the blessing was wrapped up in this son, and they had him by faith, but not by sight. He wasn't sitting in their arms. And in many ways, it's similar to us. The Bible teaches that the, the blessing of the entire cosmos is wrapped up in Jesus. Absolutely, the blessing of every people group of every nation is wrapped up in Jesus. He is God's means to bless the entire world. All, all the blessing of God travels through the Lord Jesus Christ. All the blessings and the wonders and the glories of God are wrapped up in him. There's no richness of God outside of Christ. It's all in Christ, you see. So it's in the Son, same as Isaac. Isaac is just a picture of that. And for us, you see, we, we don't have the Son by sight. We have him by faith. Those of us that are believers, in a sense, we have Jesus. We know that we have Jesus lives in us by his Spirit. All of us would point, whether it is dramatic or not, but to a moment or a time where we met Jesus, where we say, yeah, no, I know Jesus, I have him. And yet we don't see him face to face, do we? And we won't see him face to face until the new heavens and the new earth. And so actually, in many ways, there is a dynamic that is similar there that I think is important and helpful for us. Their waiting was for the Son. Do you know, I looked up in the New Testament every, every time it mentions waiting. Did like a word search. 
There's a few incidental things like waiting for donkeys and that kind of thing, okay? But spiritually, every time it's mentioned, and I found it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, every time it's mentioned, eight times it's talking about the Lord's return. That actually New Testament Christians are awaiting people, but they're waiting for the Lord's return. And I, I feel like a bit like I keep hammering this every week as if it's a bugbear. But I'm realising more and more, it's not a bugbear, it's the Bible. The Bible will, will not let us off the hook and let us just get bogged down in this age. It constantly calls us to a place where we are looking for the return of Christ. Not so that we don't engage in this age, not so that we just go and drift off and find a little island and all kind of live somewhere and get carts on horses and, you know, kind of just totally disengage or just kind of not be interested. Not at all. We're, we're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world and all of that. But actually our expectation and our anticipation is to be in the return of Christ when he will come and put every wrong right and make everything new again. That, that's, that, is, that is there. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, Titus 2, Galatians 5, Hebrews 9, James 5, 1 Peter 3. I think it might be 2 Peter 3. The whole time, bang, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting for the, for the return of Jesus. And it's challenging. It's shockingly challenging. I don't know if you find that. I find that. that I, I do have, there are things that I'm kind of waiting for, for the Lord to do. We'll look at those kinds of things later. But primarily, it should be his return. In the same way that Abraham and Sarah were just the sun. To, to, to see the sun face to face. That moment, you know, when, when they're holding this little baby and, and, and Sarah just bursts out laughing, a different kind of laugh than before. God's made laughter for me. I can see him now. That we long to see him face to face. And uh, I... I I just feel we need God's help in this, to be honest with you. I, I think it's a totally supernatural thing for a people to be excited about the age to come. You, you can't just whip it up. You need God. We need God, don't we, to help us, to get it, to see it. Um, because I think if we get it, we'll live in this age really differently. I think we won't be so bogged down w- with things. Uh, s- secondary things won't be primary. Do you understand what I'm saying? It won't be like, you know, you're just hooked on this temporary thing that once you get it, will rust, spoil and fade. You won't be living like that. You'll be, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be able to ha- handle and have the things of the world and, and, and do well with them and uh, respond to them in a generous way and not let them kind of grip your heart in a worshipping kind of way. But you'll still be able to enjoy the good things. And so, would God, I pray God would help us as a people to really get this and to really grasp this. And I was thinking and meditating and I think maybe one of the reasons why we struggle with it is because deep down we think, I'm not excited about Jesus returning. Because in our eyes and in our minds, maybe we think it's going to be so different, there's, like, there's no reference points for it. And there, frankly, are lots of things in life that you like. Coffee. Some of you, I know you just love coffee, chocolate, holidays, sport, study. Some of you do. I know some of you do. Different things that you just love, stimulating. And and the thought of Jesus coming back, is this going to be, you think, no, you're going to try and reach for the chocolate and your fingers are going to go through it. Do you know what I mean? It all feels so dreamy and so kind of like, ooh, you know, and what about friends? And we won't recognise anyone. I think that's so-and-so, but everyone looks the same. You know, everyone's everyone's got the same harps and I don't know who's who. Listen, these images we have in our mind are not rooted in Scripture. They really aren't. 
Uh, the, the idea that we tend to get through scripture is yes, some really amazing stuff that we are unfamiliar with. Yes, I mean, some really glorious stuff that when you see people try to portray it in sort of Google images, it always just looks cheesy because you can't really capture it. But some really amazing stuff, absolutely. But within it, all the good stuff of creation, there. Without all the bad stuff. So without the corruption. Without the sadness, the mourning, the pain. Without the trickiness. I mean, just take relationships for an example. Imagine all the good stuff of relationships. Celebration, peace, laughter, sort of camaraderie, banter, no, the sense of knowing and being known. And, you know, but without all the tricky stuff. Misunderstandings. Oh, you said that the wrong way. Oh, I didn't mean it when I said that. And I did, oh, no. You know, none of that stuff. Guilt because of things said in a way that kind of caused pain. Fear and anxiety. Will this person, does this person want to be my friend? I really want to be theirs, but you know, maybe they don't like me too. All that stuff. Out of the way. Just a sense of the pure richness of relationships. We will know one another, for goodness sake. Do you really think God would save you? And say, and then, my plan is I'm going to save you and save you and call you by name. And then the plan is, when you get into eternity, I'm going to completely wipe your personalities. So that you can float easier. I mean... Do you know what? It's like, what? It's just rubbish. And so I do feel that we've got we to gotta be confident in our hearts. That if God's going to line up an eternity for us, he knows what's going to be good. He knows what's going to be good. And, and, and for us to, be, to take that in, on board. But I tell you, at the end of the day, we need the Holy Spirit to help us with this. We really do. And, and sometimes, strangely enough, sometimes it's difficulties and hardships that help us in this. It's one of the ways God does it. He, he sort of helps us to realise that, actually, do you know what? Things in this life, they, they just like food and other things, it all does, just goes a bit mouldy. It does. It does. Without God's renewing work in Christ, it all just gets hold. And that's, that's a helpful, it helps us, it wins us off of it, so we can, our, our appetite for eternal things can grow and grow and grow. But it is a challenge and it's one that we need to live with. But I think it's very similar. And I think we can take lessons from Abraham and Sarah in this. We've got the son by faith. But we're looking for that moment where we will see the son by sight. Some reasons I thought, why, 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 why might we think that the son isn't coming? Why might we think, well, is Jesus going to return? We might think, number one, we might think, well, all we've got is a promise. All we've got is a promise. I wasn't around in those days. I didn't see Jesus rise from the dead. I'm taking the words of these witnesses. All, all I've got is a promise. Same as them. Or, well, we might say, well, we're not particularly better off than anyone else. We still face hardships and difficulties. You know, I'm, you know we still have to go to work and face all of that. You know, but you look at Abraham and Sarah, same as them. They weren't, in some, they weren't living in a different plane. They were just getting on with it. There was blessing on their life, but they were getting on with it. They, you know, they weren't sort of weirdly different. Or you might say, well, it's been a while now. It's been a while. Same as Abraham and Sarah. When's it going to happen? Or you might actually say this, you know what? Just dealing with the Lord is difficult. He's mysterious, isn't he? He's surprising. I never get a handle on him. He does mysterious, says mysterious things. It's not, it's not all laid out predictably. I, I, I don't really understand this, it's not quite what I imagine I'm constantly having to adjust and learn same as them, it's the life of faith it's the life of faith and we've got it written down here for us for our encouragement for our instruction and to help us from getting it wrong but we do have something they didn't have we do have something they didn't have in a a sense, we we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us in a unique way this side of the cross 
The Bible describes the giving of the Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you know his presence. Actually, that's, that is massive. That's the guarantee that the Son's coming back and that you're in the family. And it's really important that we don't that we have a broad understanding of the Holy Spirit in the sense I'm not just talking about you know you might you might think oh I, you know, it seems like when people have the Holy Spirit I don't know they they only speak in tongues or other languages or people have the Holy Spirit you know they sort of fall over and shake there are there are these things that are associated with the Holy Spirit um, sometimes it happens with the Holy Spirit it's not always the case by any means so I think the Bible emphasizes that the work of the Holy Spirit is uh, on a few things primarily to give us assurance. So we know, we know because we know because we know, I'm a child of God. I'm brand new in Christ. No one can unconvince me of that. The Holy Spirit brings assurance. The Holy Spirit brings boldness, so I can look anyone in the eyes and say, I love Jesus. Not be ashamed of him. I love Jesus. Well, the Holy, Holy Spirit brings boldness, and brings assurance. And also the Holy Spirit gives me supernatural gifts and talents, things that I can use in God's service that I didn't have before, or that were enhanced by the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit. And it's a massively important thing. So there's that. And then there's just a the second thing I want to focus on. It's just two things. There's waiting for the Son, but then there's no getting away from the fact that Abraham and Sarah had this promise and saw the fulfilment of it in their lifetime. There was something they were going for in this life. And um, yeah, it's totally relevant for us as well. From the point of view, the Bible says that in the days we live in, it's an age of the Spirit, where that when the Holy Spirit comes, another thing he does is that he puts dreams and visions in our heart. That he stirs things in us, and that we, in a sense, we live a supernatural lifestyle. Not to say that, you know, every other minute we're having some amazing supernatural experience, but that actually that our life is directed by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We know what, we understand what I'm saying and what, what I mean by that. And so I guess I do want to ask, what has the Spirit put into your heart and how do you know it's the Spirit? What has God promised you in the here and now? He's promised all of us as Christians, Jesus is coming again. But what what else has he promised us for us to see in this life come to pass? There are many things in the Bible that are for all of us. So Jesus says things like, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to be a fruitful person. If you abide in Jesus, the promise is you will bear fruit. And so in this life, all of us can be absolutely looking to God saying, I expect to bear fruit. That kind of fruit could be anything from, I'm expecting that out of my life, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control will grow and grow and grow out of me. I won't just be sticking it on, trying to impress, you know, pretend to people, it will grow out of me. I will become more and more like Jesus. That's, that's the promise I have from God as I remain in Christ. It's something God does. Right? It's not something, oh, where are you going to go? No, it's something God does as I walk with Jesus. These are precious promises. The Bible is full of them, stacked with them. Incredible promises that we have. That God wants us to have a fruitful prayer life where we ask and we do receive. Where we seek and we do find. Where we knock and the door is opened. Absolutely, that's, that's there for all of us. But also you see the Holy Spirit will put things in our hearts that are kind of unique to who we are. We might, we might call it a calling. Normally in the New Testament, when it talks about calling, it's talking about being saved. But there are, there are you do find God deals with people and he calls them to specific things. And it's the same today. And I want to just help us just quickly wrestle with that. What, how do you know when it's God that's put something into your heart? Um, how do you know? And it's not just you. You know, you know what I'm talking about there. How do I know this is God? 
And I want to just quickly use our story when God called us over here to, to plant a church, just to help illustrate that. Um, and I'm just going to put out some principles. Number one, does it fit with the Bible? If you think you've heard God on something and it totally contradicts what's in the Bible, I just want to say graciously and kindly, God is consistent with himself. And so if this, if this is God-breathed, if it is the word of God, then if, if you say God has led you to do something that the Bible says, this is wrong, then you've got to heed that. So I literally have known people that have called themselves Christians, that have committed adultery, and said, no, God brought us together. So, you know, God told me to leave my wife and to be with this woman who was also married and he's brought us together. There's a problem there. The problem is, is that God says adultery is wrong. He does. He, he, lo- he loves faithfulness to covenant. He treasures it so dearly. And so, and so what I'm saying is, is that we can't just go on every little internal whim we have and say it's God. You've got to work out, okay, firstly, just want to make sure there's nothing in the, in the word that kind of, you know, moves against that, firstly. Secondly, you've got to ask yourself, is, is there peace? Do I have peace about this? Here's what I mean. Sometimes in churches like ours, really enthusiastic Christians can prophesy, in quotes, really unhelpfully. Just say some really things in God's name, you know, but it's really unhelpful. And the person that receives it has got no peace, it's from God, that feels like they've got to do it. I mean, thankfully, I don't think we have a, a load of it here. I don't know. But you hear horror stories. You know, the Lord is telling me that you must marry that person. And the person's like, oh no. I don't want to marry that person. Nothing in me wants to marry that person. But God has said, I must. Hold on a minute. Breaks on. That's not how we roll. Right? That's a big fat no. Yeah? Or, or God says... You must go, you know, you must go, you must move to Zambia. See ya. Hold on a minute. We've got to talk to the... How do you feel about that? Is there peace? Do you see what I'm saying? It's really important. The Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And so people, it stops us from being controlled by well-meaning but misguided people. Yeah? So, is there peace? Do you have a sense of peace about this? Even if it's scary or a bit frightening or a bit, oh, how's it going to go? But underneath all of that, there's a peace that comes from God. Yeah? And you're like, I oh, know, God's in this. Uh, uh, thirdly, uh, has it been confirmed? As, so, so what happened was, we, we had an amazing thing whereby I felt like, we was in South London, I felt like God's moving us on. But didn't have anything to go on. And then some guy, totally out of the blue, with a wonderful prophetic gift, just said, like, God's, God's going to move you on. Totally out of the blue, God's going to move you on. Um, but you haven't sort of got hold of it yet. And I thought, I know, I know. You know, it's one of those wonderful moments. And then we sort of took it to those that we were, wanted to do it well, wanted to be responsible, took it to those that were over us in the Lord and submitted it. And most of them were really behind us. One person said, I'm really not sure about this. Ooh. So we put the brakes on. You want to be humble. We don't want to think, oh, you know, best want to be humble. So then we set about, remember myself and Davina set about, we're going to just have a real intense time of praying and fasting, really seek God on this. And we did. And then at the end of that, that little period, we went to a, like this Christian conference thing and some people came up to us who knew nothing about the situation and just read our mail, you know, just spoke it again very, very clearly and just confirmed it. So when it's a big one that's going to really shape your life and direct you, God will confirm it. God can and God will. Um, thirdly, I've got to look at my own heart and say, am I doing this, is this really about me trying to prove something to myself or other people or am I securing Christ? You know, do I want to sort of, you know, because 
you know, in the Christian world, oh, I'm going church planting in Camden. You know, Christian world, some people, you know, can be impressed by that, you know? So you think, oh, maybe, maybe some people think I'm really spiritual. You know, you've got to know, actually, what's, what, am I, what is actually motivating me here? Am I secure in who I am in Jesus? Or am I trying to prove myself to people? You've got to know that in your heart as well, because that will help you to just be straight. Penultimately, do you love the Lord more than you love the thing that you think he's called you to do? So who do I love most, Jesus or church planting in Camden? That's the $10,000 question. Because if I don't, if I, if I love the thing more, it's always going to be a disappointment. It's always going to leave a bitter taste. And the final one, and I think this one's very, very profound. Am I happy for what I do, this thing I feel God's promised me, am I happy for it to be, I think intergenerational is the right word. Here's what I mean. Am I happy to start something but I may not necessarily be the one who sees it come to fulfilment. Because that exposes what's driving it. Is it like a selfish, you know, I'm going to do this and do that and do this. Well, no, but I may get something rolling, but I may not see the ultimate fulfilment of it. And that's actually really, it's the same with Abraham, see, they had this son Isaac, but then it, wasn't, then it was going to be Jacob, then it was his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, and then, after, uh, and then it was uh, like 400 years later that they inherited the land. So you see, it's, it is in the sun, but it's the thing goes on weight. It's not just our thing. It's beyond that. And so you've got to realise I'm part of something much bigger than me. And so I guess I, we would be saying we want to come and sow our lives into the soil of Camden. And, and God can make of it what God makes of it. Um, but I'm sure there's all kinds of things that I'd love to see that I may not see in my time. Either, either God may call us on at some point somewhere else, or, or that might be it. You know, Jesus may call us home. But I'm happy to sow myself into this because it's not about me. It's much bigger than that. So these are really helpful principles to go by and to rest assured that, you are then, um, that you're then in the right place. And just finally, then how, to, how do you wait well? How to wait well? If you're wait, if anyone here waiting on anything, you say, there are things I'm waiting on. Anyone in God? <laughs> okay, right, you're waiting, right? Okay. Number one, two things not to do. Don't try and make it happen. Now Sarah, she's like, it's not happening. <laughs> But I've got this made. Now, in those days, culturally, it wouldn't have been that unusual for that to have happened. So we think, oh, that's really freaky. Actually, in that culture, it was, the, you know, if you couldn't have children, the surrogacy thing, but within the kind of household, it's quite normal. So it's not as weird. But, but in her spirit, it was unbelief. So she's like, we'll make it happen. And everyone was like, okay. I mean, who knows? I don't know. Do you know, either Hagar was really pretty, do you know what I mean? Or he didn't like disagreeing with his wife. Who knows? But he was just like, okay. You know, sort of. <laughs> and you think, no, no. She was scurrying. This is what I call scurrying. When you're scurrying in your spirit, you're no longer in faith. Yeah? Trying to make it happen. Oh, oh, oh. Just, oh, just, just, just. There's no peace. There's no rest. It's not coming out of, it's not springing out of confidence in God. You've lost, you've lost God and these greatness and you're just filled with, what are we going to do? How are we going to do? What we, and it's just scurrying. Don't scurry. And then secondly, don't scoff. Scurrying and scoffing. The laughter incident. How embarrassing was that? So embarrassing. It's just like I can it's just so see myself. You think, oh, this is terrible. That moment where someone says you were doing that. You say, no, I wasn't. And they say, yes, you were. <laughs> and you're like... I know, you know, we don't even say what Sarah doesn't even reply, she probably just goes and cooks another goat or something, you know, just, I'm getting out of here. It's just humiliating. But she'd got into this thing into a spirit of like that kind of, oh yeah, 
<laughs> chance would be a fine thing. That got into a spirit. It's not faith. It's not faith. It's scoffing. You've got into scoffing. Yeah? Oh, hold on, that's how not to wait. <laughs> uh, I would say there's, just a, there's probably just a couple of things with, with Abraham, which are, are better examples. He's not perfect by any means. He was involved in the Hagar debacle. You know, he's not perfect. But what I love about Abraham is there is this childlike innocence. He sees these, he sees these guests. He knows it's the Lord. Somehow they represent the Lord. And look at him. He just goes like, quick, Sarah, get some cakes. Put the goat on. You know, and he's like... Ta-da! He just, he welcomes and embraces the presence of God. And he's just kind of like, what are you going to say? He's expectant still, that's what's in his spirit. You see, that's that, he's still expectant, that's what he carries in his heart. And I think we've got to be careful that we don't associate maturity with kind of getting a bit cynical or getting a bit, oh yeah, you know. Godly maturity is where you maintain that childlike sense of what's God going to do now? And the sense of it's totally out of my control and I might not have planned it out this way, but I'm walking with God and it's mysterious. And I don't, But you know what? God, God's with us. And so there's that childlike innocence of spirit that I think is a really good way to wait. You're sort of on the lookout. What's he going to do next? It's kind of like a readiness. It's a readiness and an alertness and an innocence. I think that's how we wait. We don't, let our, we don't, we don't give way to despondency, we don't, we don't begin looking to the future with a dismal kind of thing. Now, the, the Bible gives this wonderful description of this, this wonderful woman who fears the Lord in Proverbs chapter, chapter 31. It's beautiful. She's, in, she's outstanding. And, um, and, she, and it says of her that she looks to the future and laughs or smiles. It's, she's caught something in her heart. She's this woman who fears the Lord. That's the key. She looks to the future and laughs. Why? Because she knows that all, God's with her. And, and he's good. And he is mysterious. And, he, and he, his timing is not like ours. And his ways aren't like ours. But he's good. And he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so there's the sense of expect, hopeful anticipation. That's what we look like if we are waiting well. Um, that we can imagine all things by God's power. We can imagine new creation. We can imagine... These, we look with those kinds of eyes. Uh, the, probably the best scripture to sum it up is Hebrews 6, verse 12, which talks about through faith and patience inheriting the promises. I'm going to end on this. That I think it's really important that you realise this. That when God gives a promise, it's inherited. That means you come into it a certain way. It doesn't just drop onto your lap. When God makes you a promise, you must really be clear on this from the Bible. You don't just then go, okay, great, God's going to do that at some point. And No, no, you inherit it. How? through faith and patience, which means through keeping on believing. That you don't let your head, let your head go down. That you don't let your heart get hard. That you don't allow yourself to be knocked off, of course. Even if others around you, who you used to really look to, and you used to really think, well, okay, suddenly they fall by the wayside, and you can think it can oh, understandably disorientate you, but your hope's not in them. At the end of the day, you, live, you stand or fall before God, right? You stand or fall before him. And that's the key. Say, God, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to keep on believing you. And you know what? I'm just, going to, I'm just going to carry on. I'm going to carry on. And as I do that, I'm going to inherit everything you promised. And it's going to be glorious. And I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh. And there's not going to be that laugh behind the tent. Not that laugh. I'm going to do this laugh. Where I go, <laughs> yes, got it. What's next? So I'm going to live.
And that's what God calls us into. The life of faith. The life of confidence in him. Patience. Patience. The faith to wait. Like last week, I'm really happy to just do five minutes on Q&A, just really recognise that in a setting like this, things can be said and heard a certain way and maybe misconstrued, misunderstood. So I just want to make sure we just give opportunity to... This is heavily applicational, this stuff. I know that for those of us in the room that are following Christ, this stuff is very real, really hits into our everyday experience. Um, and you may just want to say, hold on, just talk about this a bit more, or did you mean that? So anything on that, people want to just... Ollie, yeah. Yeah. Um, and occasionally, people of a different disposition, Christians might say, you know, just leave it up to God and mm. just let it happen, let it flow. Mm. Um, so I, don't think, I can't think who you're thinking of, but yeah. <laughs> so, so when you, okay, I'm just, when you said scurrier, yes. I, I thought, I'm a scurrier. God made me a scurrier. No, he didn't. I scurry around and plan and do things. Yes. How, how do you scurry? Or how do you plan and not scurry? Yeah, it's a spirit thing. I, I did recognise this last week and had a helpful one or two conversations with people who, who were very similar to you and saying, and I've got to make sure I don't, end, I'm not, my aim is not to preach my personality here. Yeah, I'm the, op, I'm the opposite of you in that, in that regard. Um, it's nothing to do with planning or not planning. It's to do with a resting spirit. You can plan all you like, okay, but it's when... I'm talking about spiritual dynamics here. So those of you, maybe you don't know the Lord, you haven't got the Holy Spirit living in you, you find it hard to understand, but I know you, I know you fairly well. So I know you understand what I'm talking about. It's when you lost your peace and you've lost your confidence in God, and, and, but it's subtle. It may not be that you actually, you know, you don't sort of put that on your fridge, I've now lost my confidence in God. It's not like that. But do you know, inside you think, is he going to do what he said he's going to do? You know, or... Can, it, can, can he really be trusted? Or these things that you, you, know, you think clearly they're there in the scriptures or prophetically I know their mind have been conf- But it hasn't happened yet. And so I begin trying to actually make the things happen. That, that's a wrong dynamic because the Bible talks about what God has spoken with his mouth, he will fulfill with his hand. It's a beautiful image. He speaks it, we believe him, he fulfills it. That doesn't mean I'm to live in a way that is unplanned by any means. I sh- if I'm a planner, I'm thinking, right, well, I wonder what God's going to do this. I need to be ready for this, have some things in place, some this, that and the other. But what I'm not doing is, tr- is creating plans that fundamentally are me bringing about what God has said he will do. I'm making plans for my life in the light of what God is going to do. You see the difference with those two things? Is that, you sure? Yeah. Okay, cool. Marvin. Yes. Very, very good. So, so being proactive or just, you know, is being proactive the same as scurrying, trying to make it happen? I would say not necessarily, no, I don't think at all. I think it can be. I think it's about spiritual discernment, isn't it? And it's saying, do you know what, Lord, I, I feel like this isn't a door you're opening. I feel like this could, I'm going to have a, have a go on this because, because you know what, I think that this, I've got some things that have been spoken into my spirit over my life and it fits with this. This could be it. I'm going to have a go. Now, sometimes there's a rebuff. At that point, is am I still going to believe God? Yeah? If it opens, I'll celebrate. So I think proactiveness is... N- n- by, I'm not preaching passivity by any means. But I think if we just... 
The key always, and I said this last week, the key always is just maintain a really healthy walk with the Lord where you are, you, you are walking with him genuinely. I mean, so what I mean by that is, how can I put it? What I mean by that is, is that the way that you are relating to the Lord is not just superficial and talking about things, but that you're letting him know you and you're looking to know him. That is the safest place you can possibly be. And, and, it, and, it, and it covers a lot of, it covers, it just by its nature covers a lot of stuff that makes it very, very safe. You can sort of, you know, you're no longer on a tightrope, but you, you, I'm walking with the Lord. 